Thank you for tuning into this webinar, Using HR Audits to Reduce Risk, Retain Employees, and Improve Profitability. This webinar is hosted by AGH University and presented by AGH Employer Solutions. AGH Employer Solutions is a team of professionals that helps employers, business owners, and human resource professionals hire, compensate, manage, engage, train, and retain one of their most critical resources, their talent. Today's speaker is Carrie Cox. Carrie has experience in a variety of human resource functions, including a solid knowledge of labor laws, compensation structures, employee classification, benefits administration, performance management, and human resource best practices. She served clients in a number of industries, including manufacturing, construction, banking, and not-for-profits. She is a Society for Human Resource Management Certified Professional, certified as a professional in human resources by the Human Resource Certification Institute, and a certified practitioner for the Meyer-Briggs Type Indicator. Organizations routinely engage in financial, operation, and legal audits to provide assurance to business owners and others. HR audits also provide assurance by examining employee processes and procedures for compliance with federal employment laws, alignment with the organization's business strategy, and HR best practices. The results help organizations reduce risk, increase productivity, enhance profits, and become an employer of choice. Thanks for joining me today in this webinar to learn a bit more about how to improve soft skills in your employees. Today we're going to cover a lot of information, but remember that the slides will be made available for you after the webinar as, long as, a, as well as a recording of it. So throughout the presentation, there's going to be some polling questions in order for you to interact with the material. So like Emily said, make sure to participate with those as we move through the presentation. As a result of today's webinar, you should be able to come away with three things. First of all, better understanding how improved soft skills can benefit your company in some very tangible ways that I'm going to show you. Secondly, to learn how to recognize soft skills problems in your employees. And third, to identify the process that managers can use to help employees improve their own soft skills. So before we get into the content of the webinar, I just want to hear a little bit from you with the first poll question. So. As you think back about your career, you've, you've probably had some ongoing problems with a direct report, a peer, or a manager at some point in your career. And in fact, right now, there may be somebody that you're having difficulty with who may be the reason that you're attending this webinar. So if you think of that person that you've had that ongoing problems with, the one that really stands out, think about that person. And with that person in mind, let's answer this next poll question here you think about that person, which of the following problem areas do they have? And feel free to check all that apply. Do they communicate poorly? Do they lack proper certifications? Do they lack follow-through? Do they not understand others? Or do they not know technical processes? Go ahead and answer those when you're thinking about that person with really the ongoing problems that you've had to deal with. Looks like the majority of everyone says it, the poor communication is really the top problem there. Hardly anyone said the proper certifications was the, the main problem. Um, half of you said that lacking follow-through was a big problem. A third said not understanding others, and then about 20% said not knowing the proper technical processes. Um, and that's kind of what I expected to see. And as a result of those, um, really two and five have to do with what we call hard skills. 
and one, three, and four have to do with what we call soft skills. So as you can see, ongoing poor performance generally is not caused by a lack of technical skills. So these technical skills, um, if an employee lacks these, like knowing the proper technical process or not having the proper certification, it's usually pretty easy to fix because you can just show them the proper technique or send them to training to get the certification that they need. These are really just skills that are the anti for being an employee. In order to be employed somewhere, you have to have certain hard skills that you have to have. And if you don't have them, then you're not qualified for the job or you're not able to, to do that job specifically. So usually if there's an issue with hard skills of an employee, it doesn't really last long because managers know how to deal with these issues. They either help them to get trained or if the employee isn't able to meet the standards, then they're let go. So when we have those ongoing problems with employees, it's usually not these sorts of skills that we have problems with. It's these other skills, the, the soft skills. And so those poor performers generally have difficulty with these soft skills that are things like we mentioned before, the lack of follow-through, the poor communication, and a lack of understanding of others, as you noted before. These issues are a little different. They don't have quick fixes like many of the hard skill problems because you can't just send an employee to get a certification in, in motivation or coming to work on time. And many times it's even difficult just to pin down the exact problem or the root of the problem with that employee. We just know that maybe we can't rely on that employee in certain situations. The more that you get to know about soft skills and the more that you look, the more you realize that the soft skills problems are really all around us in the workplace or the problems are rooted in a lack of soft skills. So since these soft skills are the root of so many problems in today's workforce, it's really important that we figure out how we can improve these skill sets in our employees since they're the major problem, um, which is probably why you're here today, right? You're coming to this webinar to get some practical advice on how to improve soft skills. So before we get into specifics of actually how to solve these problems, we first have to define what are soft skills. Um, the term soft skills it has been a buzzword recently, and a lot of people are talking about it, but many people don't really know what they are. So we need to first kind of nail down what we mean when we're talking about soft skills in general. So soft skills are things like collaboration and the ability to work together with other people, conflict resolution, problem solving and critical thinking, communication, having a work ethic and high standards, adaptability and being able to change based on the situation and deal with change. And lastly, emotional intelligence, which might be another buzzword that you've heard recently that really encompasses many of the soft skills that we're trying to talk about here. So we're gonna dive deeper into the concept of emotional intelligence a bit later. But before we get too far, I want to address the importance of soft skills. 
So why are soft skills important? Or are they really that important? Sometimes when I talk about soft skills, I, I get pushback from people. And people say, does it really matter if I'm a nice boss? You know, I'm their manager. I'm not supposed to be their friend. Um, and other people say, well, this is just fluffy stuff. We're really in business to make money and not to make people feel good. Um, I hear these things a lot from a lot of managers, maybe older school managers who don't see the value in soft skills. And so you might have heard similar things. You might even be thinking similar things right now or have thought them in the past. So before we go a little bit too far, I'd like to get a sense of where everyone else is at here with another poll. So when you think about soft skills, how important do you feel those are to the overall company? Do you think they're not important at all, a little bit important, or a lot? Looks like 93% say they matter quite a lot, which is probably why you're spending your morning here with me going to a webinar about soft skills. Uh, a handful said a little bit, and some said no one said not at all. So. Good to know that everyone kind of feels, has this gut sense that soft skills are really important to a company's overall bottom line. But instead of just kind of sharing my opinion about soft skills or sharing anecdotal stories or just giving you my gut feeling, I really want to give you some hard numbers and some hard data here to help convince you even more about the importance of soft skills. So first of all, one study looked at over 500,000 people, and they took 33 different important workplace skills. And out of those, soft skills, and more specifically, emotional intelligence, was shown to, the be, to be the single biggest predictor of performance in the workplace, as well as the strongest driver of leadership and personal excellence. So out of those 33 different areas, emotional intelligence was the, the leader of, of those and had the biggest impact on workplace performance. So if it's the single biggest predictor of performance for individuals in your company, imagine what impact just a little bit of improvement in emotional intelligence in some of your employees' lives could have on the overall company bottom line. could have a huge impact if this is the biggest skill that has an impact. So. Let's keep that in mind. Secondly, according to some research that was done by the Carnegie Institute of Technology, skills in human engineering, which incorporates an individual's personality, ability to communicate, negotiate, and lead, those skills account for 85% of financial success. Shockingly, only 15% is due to technical knowledge or those hard skills. And so that just further reinforces what we talked about before. Most of the time, technical knowledge is just really the ante for the game to be able to do your job properly. And the thing that really sets people apart are these soft skills, or in this study, the human engineering skills. So if our highest paid employees are making it because of their soft skills and not their hard skills, Shouldn't we be emphasizing these soft skills over the technical knowledge? I really think we should, but in today's marketplace, really the hard skills are the ones that have been um, 
emphasized. And so I think we need to have a, a bit of a difference of emphasis here when we're looking at these. Third, according to the Harvard Business Review, emotional intelligence and soft skills account for 90% of the difference between star performers and average ones when they're in senior leadership positions rather than cognitive abilities. So it's your soft skills and not necessarily your intelligence that set star performers apart from the average ones. Once again, I would argue that intelligence is an ante for the game. You have to have a certain intelligence to be in a certain position, but the thing that sets you apart once you're in that position is the soft skills. So that's what we're going to talk about today is turning our average performers into stars and using soft skills to do that. So these are just a few pieces of pertinent data that have come from multiple studies about the effect of soft skills on employee performance. And as you can see, soft skills are extremely important for the improved performance of individual employees. So obviously, improved individual performance will have a dramatic effect on overall company performance. But let's talk about what other high-level effects improved soft skills can have on a company as a whole. So first of all, to start off with, soft skills will enable managers to lead their staff better by having improved communication, a better ability to address conflict, a better ability to motivate and inspire employees, and a better ability to understand employees and show them appreciation. So soft skills enable better managers overall. As a result of those better managers, employees will be happier and more engaged because they are getting what they need from their managers. And as employees improve their own soft skills, you'll have more productive employees with fewer problems as well. Because you remember back to that first poll we took, most employee problems have to do with soft skills. So if we improve employee soft skills, we're going to end up with fewer problems overall with employees. And as both managers and employees improve in soft skills, you're going to have more employees that are capable of taking on more responsibility, which leads to an improved bench strength, better succession planning. Because if you remember that study about the senior leaders, the higher up that you go in an organization, the greater difference soft skills can make. And so soft skills are really, really key the higher up the ladder that people go. So if you add all of this up, you've got improved individual performance, you have improved managers, you have more engaged employees, increased bench strength, as well as many other side of benefits. And as you can see, that this can have a really dramatic effect on a company's overall bottom line, all just because of improving soft skills of employees. So I think that's obviously a lot of great information for companies. But if you're sitting there as an individual thinking, well, what kind of effect can this have on me? What kind of effect can I have if I increase my soft skills individually? Well, I'm glad you asked because another study has shown that soft skills, um, and specifically those employees with better soft skills, 
made an average of $29,000 more per year than those who lacked them. So on an individual level, this is really, really a significant impact because who wouldn't want to make $29,000 more per year? So if that's you, and I hope it is, then I hope that you listen up to the rest of the webinar today because what you can learn can really make an impact for you as well as for your employees and your company as a whole. So that's kind of the overview of why this is important. And so let's really get into some more details here of soft skills so that we can make that tangible impact for individuals and companies. So as I mentioned before, we need to dive a little bit deeper into the concept of emotional intelligence. Because many soft skills have to do with emotional intelligence. And you might see this referred to as EQ or EI. When we talk about emotional intelligence, there's really four key areas that we're talking about, and, and they're commonly shown in four quadrants. The first quadrant is that of self-awareness. And self-awareness has to do with knowing our own strengths, knowing our own weaknesses, and our own tendencies, and also being able to recognize our own emotions. One study recently has shown that only 38% of people can recognize their own emotions on a regular basis. And so this is really a huge area that for growth in a lot of people, because a lot of people aren't able to do this very well, and they probably don't even know their own strengths and weaknesses that well. So that's the first area of emotional intelligence. The second area is a quadrant of self-management, and that has to do with being able to manage your emotions, motivate yourself, which is that work ethic, and adapt to different situations. And so that's all kind of looking inside individually. Then we go to the third quadrant of social awareness, which has to do with being able to recognize the emotions in others, show empathy, and understand the larger connections within a company or organization. So this has to do with externally looking those sorts of skill sets. and. Finally, bringing it all together in the fourth quadrant is relationship management, which is the culmination of all the other three, being able to deal with properly relating to others, including working on a team, managing conflict, and influencing others. So really the other three areas serve as cornerstones and foundations to be able to do the relationship management well. And so it's a combination of competence in these four areas that really brings a positive impact on an organization's performance overall. So as you can see, as you look at many of those bullet points, many of the soft skills that we discussed previously are included within emotional intelligence. And so that's why it's really a key area here of soft skills. So now let's have a, a quick uh, another poll question here. When you think back to that problem employee from before, the one you've had ongoing problems with, which of the following areas of emotional intelligence do you feel they have difficulty with? And go ahead and check all that apply. Is it the self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, or the relationship management? Go ahead and vote here in the poll, and we'll kind of see where those problems usually lie.
All right, almost have everyone in here. All right. Well, it looks like a good spread here. We have the majority in the relationship management quadrant, which is probably what we would expect. There's a, a lot of problems that usually happen in that quadrant. Um, also a lot in self-awareness and self-management. And that's not unexpected either. Social awareness at 8% and 2% of people said it's not applicable. They don't have a problem employee and good for them. Um, really what we see a lot of times is people who do soft skills really well, do the relationship management well, and people just take for granted the other three categories. But bad bosses or bad employees generally don't do as well in those first two quadrants, which then leads to their deficiencies in that final quadrant of the relationship management. So once again, something that we would expect here, a lot of room for growth in these areas. So we'll dig in a little deeper here into how to, to help people through these. So one important note as we look at soft skills and emotional intelligence in specific is that IQ or intelligence is static. It's something that really doesn't change throughout your life. You're born with your intelligence and you can't do too much about it. But emotional intelligence is different. It is dynamic and it can be improved because it's based on a series of behaviors and competencies and people can change their behaviors. And so this should really provide hope for us that those problem employees that we have are not stuck they can change, they can improve their soft skills. And it may be true that some people are just more naturally inclined to do better understanding and relating to people and having those good soft skills, but really everyone is able to improve their soft skills competencies to some degree. So no one is really without hope. Um, everyone is able to improve, even those who are currently good at soft skills have room to improve even more in the future. So I think this should really provide hope to all of us that no one's stuck, everyone can improve as they need to. So um, one question came in here. What can you do when the boss is the issue and there's only so much that you can do? Um, that's a good question. Obviously, if you have uh, direct reports, there's a lot more that you can do to tangibly impact them than if you're relating to somebody and as, uh, basically you're, they're your boss. Um, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. There are things that you can do. And I would first of all, just off the top of my head, Bruce Tolgan wrote a book called uh, both uh, How to, let's see, trying to remember. How to Manage Your Boss, I think, is the name of the title. And that's really a good option for helping to figure out what you can do to manage your boss and to influence your boss. And so we'll get back to that a little bit more later, but thanks for the question. All right, let's move on now. Now that we know what soft skills are and why they're important, let's talk a little bit about how to recognize soft skills problems in employees. How do we know? when an employee has a soft skills problem. 
sometimes it's really easy to spot a lack of soft skills and Hollywood has helped us with a few of these easy targets and most notably Michael Scott from the TV show The Office really stands out as somebody with poor soft skills. For those of you who haven't seen the show The Office, Michael's a regional, a regional manager who's just constantly trying to gain his employees' approval and just needs to be liked by them all the time as this meme shows. However, when things go wrong, he's never willing to accept responsibility and instead he just blames others. He often has no clue how others view him and he definitely struggles in his ability to inspire his employees. So all of those areas of soft skills, he's pretty lacking in those. So while Michael's a fictional character, many people have a hard time watching The Office because it hits too close to home. The, the show is funny because it plays on ways that many offices today work and how many bosses are, as maybe this person's boss is. Um, and so there's many uh, real-life examples of this as well, too. So one notable example is this guy by the name of Chainsaw Al Dunlap. He spent his career going from one corporate boardroom to the next, always seeking to cut as much expense as possible, really at the expense of everything else. So during his time at Scott Paper, he engineered a corporate restructuring that put 35% of the workforce or 11,000 people out of a job, really not showing much empathy there. After one investor meeting, Chainsaw Al accosted an employee who had questioned his actions during that meeting, placing his hand over his mouth and yelling into his ear, you SOB, if you come after me, I'll come after you twice as hard. So he's not really the model boss or exhibiting those soft skills of emotional self-control and self-awareness. Another person that stands out is Anna Winter, who's a fashion industry tycoon that the movie The Devil Wears Prada is modeled after. She's notorious for being extremely demanding of her employees, emotionally distant, and extremely rude, as that movie really shows quite well. She's a perfectionist who routinely makes impossible, arbitrary demands of her subordinates, and she wants what she wants right away. She even slided one peer enough to cause him to allegedly plan to kill her. So definitely somebody who does not have a good connection with her employees. Um, another question that came in on these examples, so how do these types of people gain power? Is it through poor HR screening? Um, well, there's a lot of different ways that they gain power. Um, not everyone values soft skills, and a lot of these people are what we call talented terrors, which we'll get to later. Um, people who are super talented in one area, super motivated, and they may be stars in one area, but they lack soft skills in other areas and they really cause havoc in other areas. And so many times boards or CEOs will continue to promote these people because they're doing what it takes to bring in the next dollar, but in the end it ends up hurting the entire company because of their poor soft skills. So I think if you would ask the Scott Paper Company's board if it was 
in hindsight a good idea to hire Chainsaw Al? I think they probably would say no, but their most immediate thoughts were to their stock price and they wanted to cut expenses and have those revenues grow and Chainsaw Al did that in the short term, but he did not probably succeed in making a successful company long term. So good, another good question. So it's fairly obvious to see a lack of soft skills in many of these examples, but it really can be difficult to pinpoint the problems with our own employees. So in order to do that, um, you need to really look at the behaviors that are tied to the four quadrants that we previously discussed. So for example, does Anna Winter really realize how self-absorbed she is, tying it to that self-awareness quadrant? Can Chainsaw Al control his temper, tying it to that self-control quadrant? Does Michael Scott realize how he is perceived by others, that social awareness quadrant? And then finally, does, does Michael Scott know how to manage and motivate his people, tying it back to that relationship management quadrant? So to help you better recognize those behaviors in your employees, I've developed a handout for you that's entitled, How to Identify Employees Struggling with Soft Skills. It's just an Excel document that has a checklist of 24 behaviors that, eat, that are related to specific soft skills. So you can fill out a worksheet for each employee and check the boxes of the behaviors that that employee exhibits. Then the scores are tallied below and it's then sorted into the four different quadrants that the, it's related to. So a brief example of it is related here, just a handful of those behaviors. But really the hope is by understanding what behaviors an employee struggles with and their quantities, you can gain a general sense of what areas an employee may need help in and what areas are priorities for them. So if you'd like that Excel worksheet, I'd be glad to provide it to you after the webinar. Just shoot me an email or leave me a comment and I can follow up with you to give you that for your own use with your own employees to help pinpoint which behaviors they might need help in. All right, so now I've looked at several examples of bad soft skills and what those look like. So let's look at a few examples of leaders who have good soft skills on the flip side here. So one of the first examples that came to mind was Oprah Winfrey to me. Um, Oprah really remained the most watched daytime television host for over 20 years. And on top of that, she's a successful entrepreneur. So one of the reasons she was able to maintain and grow during that period over such an extended time was her ability to maintain an emotional and personal connection with her audience. So even as her tremendous wealth and power grew, she was still able to maintain that connection and that authenticity with her audience, which is why she was part of the reason she was so successful. So as an example of this, soon after she launched her national show, a major diet soft drink brand, diet soft drink brand came to her and asked her to promote the product. She didn't really drink the products, and so she flat out refused the company's huge offer. So it was in times like this when she said no to certain advertisers, that was a cornerstone of her authenticity, which led to her popularity. Because her fans knew that she wasn't for sale, 
so that if she promoted a product, it was because she was a fan and she liked it, not because she was just getting a paycheck. So once again, that empathy and knowing how to connect with her audience. Another example would be Warren Buffett. He's probably the least pretentious, least pompous billionaire that there ever was, and really just comes across more as a friendly Midwestern teacher than somebody who's the third wealthiest person in the world. Um, he's widely known for his soft skills and his ability to listen. And as an example of that, the first time that he was scheduled to meet with Bill Gates, Warren only scheduled 30 minutes for the meeting, not knowing what to expect. But after sitting down with Bill to discuss, the meeting lasted over 10 hours because of his connection and realizing that um, he was somebody that he wanted to devote time to. So another great example of somebody with great soft skills. And the final example would be Sam Walton of Walmart, who people often remember for his folksy demeanor and his people-first attitude. He was really one of the first businessmen to call his customers neighbors or guests and refer to his employees as business partners or associates really seeing that empathy and trying to uh, get into their shoes. He integrated his core values into the creation of Walmart, which included um, listening to everyone in the company, appreciating coworkers, and communicating everything that you can. He was often seen with a ball cap on, like in this picture, and was really known for valuing integrity, flexibility, and sensitivity. So another great example of somebody that exhibits great soft skills. And really all of these people have been successful over the long term, not maybe just short-term success like Chainsaw Al before. People who put the value into the uh, development of soft skills and it's really paid off for them in the long term. So if you have employees who are like this, like I said before, who are already great at soft skills, I'd encourage them to improve even more because there's no finish line in the soft skills development. There's the soft skills can always be improved and you can always become better in some other area. So now that you've seen a few examples, I want to go ahead and test some of your own soft skills. And since you're here learning about how to improve the soft skills of others, I'd probably assume that you all are probably pretty well versed in soft skills yourself, but I want to see here through a little bit of a quiz where I'm going to present a series of four scenarios, and each scenario has multiple ways that you could react to that scenario. So go ahead and choose the best response out of all of those, and then we'll compare results on each question here. So let's, let's go to the first question here. So you're in a meeting with a colleague, when they take credit for work that you have done, what do you do? Do you immediately and publicly confront the colleague over the ownership of your work? Do you take the colleague aside after the meeting and tell them you would appreciate it, that they would credit you in the future? Or do you do nothing because it's not a good idea to embarrass colleagues in public? Or finally, after the colleague speaks, do you publicly thank her for referencing your work? and give the group more specific detail about your work. What's the most emotionally intelligent answer here? So 
Well, it's good to see no one voted the one of the, the worst options here, which is just to confront them in the meeting. That's good. Over half of you said that B was the best answer, taking them aside afterwards and talking to them. Probably the best answer here. That's what I would agree with. 13% um, of you said not to do anything so as not to embarrass them. That might point to not wanting to get into conflict, um, which is an area that, of that um, relationship management that you need to have, be able to have conflict when it's necessary. And fourth, after they speak, thank them for referencing and kind of take credit in the meeting. That's something that you could do. You end up might end up uh, being seen as a bit pompous if you did that, trying to steal their thunder. So something you could do, but I think the best answer is B. So good job to the majority of you. Um, let's go on to the next question here. Okay, let's imagine you're an insurance salesman calling on prospective clients. You've left the last 15 clients empty-handed, so it's been a bad day. What do you do? You call the day and go home to miss the traffic. Do you try something new on the next call and keep plugging away? Do you list your strengths and weaknesses to identify what might be undermining your ability? Or do you sharpen your resume and get ready to try something new? The first answer there, 2% said, call it a day and head home. That's probably, while it might be what we're all tempted to do, might not be the best thing. That's pointing there to that work ethic. Are we able to still keep plugging away even when it's hard? So uh, probably not the best answer. B, try something new and keep plugging away. That's pointing there to that um, self, oh, the, uh, the work ethic once again. Really a, a good answer there, as well as C, the majority of you put list your strengths and weaknesses. Try to figure out what you need to do differently. That's pointing there to that self-awareness. So that's good. And then sharpen up your resume. That's probably not as good. Maybe a follow-up step to point C. But um, both B and C are good answers. I would probably say that B is the best one if you're just pointing to that work ethic there. But I could see C being a great answer as well. So good job on that one. Let's go to the next poll here. You're a customer service representative and you've just got an extremely angry client on the phone. What do you do? Do you hang up because you don't take abuse from anyone? Do you listen to the client and rephrase what you think he's feeling? Do you explain to the client that he's being unfair, that you're only trying to do your job and you'd appreciate if he'd get out of the way? Or D, do you tell the client you understand how frustrating this must be and offer a specific thing that you can do to get his problem resolved? The majority of you have responded, so no one said hang up, that's great, that's not a good answer. Uh, B is listen and rephrase what you gather he's feeling, another great answer. Um, C is explain he's being unfair, that's probably not the best answer. Um, and D is explain um, that you feel how frustrating it must be and, and get a specific thing you can do to resolve his problem. I'd say that D is probably the best answer. B really is a great answer. 
to rephrase what he's saying, but taking it the next step to question the of figuring out what you can do to help him improve is, is probably the best answer out of all of those. So good job on all that. Let's do one final scenario here. Okay, you're a manager that's in an organization trying to encourage respect for racial and ethnic diversity. You overhear someone telling a racist joke. What do you do? Do you ignore it because the best way to deal with things is not to react? B, do you call the person into your office and explain their behavior is inappropriate? C, do you speak up on the spot saying that such jokes are inappropriate and won't be tolerated? Or D, do you suggest they go to diversity training? I've said no and said ignore it. That's good if you're, if you're really trying to encourage racial and ethnic diversity. You can't just ignore those things. The majority of you said B, call that person into the office afterwards and explain that the behavior is inappropriate. Some of you, a quarter said, speak up on the spot, saying that those sorts of jokes are inappropriate. And 5% said, send them to diversity training. Um, you know, this is another tough one. I would honestly say that the best answer is C. If you really are trying to encourage respect for racial and ethnic diversity, you have to know when to uh, have conflict, or it, it's obviously the most difficult one to do because you're kind of confronting this person in front of everyone else. But if you don't confront people in front of everyone else, then how does everyone else know that that is not acceptable? Maybe they think that you're uh, letting it go. And so while for most situations, not publicly confronting somebody on it is probably the best option, as you put. I would venture to say maybe for this situation, it's probably best to address it head on, and that's speaking to that relationship management, conflict management aspect of when it's appropriate being able to have the conflict when necessary. So good job on all of these. Seems everyone did a really good job on the quiz, but as you can see, it can be quite difficult to determine the best response. Um, on some of those, some of the answers are obviously wrong, but there really can be a lot of gray area in a lot of these soft skills areas, which is why they can be difficult to um, have people improve in and why it can be difficult to know the exact right thing to do. So a lot of gray areas sometimes in these. So overall, though, I'd say you have a really pretty good knowledge of soft skills. However, just because you know what you're supposed to do doesn't mean that you're actually going to do it. So if you have a firm grasp on relational or management best practices, it doesn't necessarily correlate to actually doing those things in daily life. So even though you all did really quite well on the scenarios on the quizzes, meaning you have a good knowledge of those things, it doesn't necessarily correlate with behavior. So if you think about a diet, pretty much everyone has been on a diet before. If you look at this quiz on the screen, it's one that everyone could easily pass. You know, what's the healthy food? Everyone knows what they should eat on a diet. So the problem in the diet isn't knowing what food is healthy, but it's actually eating the healthy food and implementing that knowledge into behavior. So in the same way, it's not enough just to know soft skills or know what's the best thing to do in a situation. You have to actually be able to demonstrate those behaviors in real life.
because it can be difficult to confront somebody even if you know it's the right thing to do. It's difficult sometimes and so translating that knowledge into behavior is really where the rubber meets the road. So it's really best to observe behavior and not just rely on someone's knowledge of soft skills. If you think back to that Excel checklist that I shared earlier, each of those 24 boxes has to do with an observable behavior that an employee does or doesn't do, something that you can see if the employee does or not, because that's what really matters in the end, how people act. We are not mind readers, and so we cannot read our employees' minds or know what they're thinking or feeling, so we have to rely on what we can observe in their behavior, and really that's what matters because their behavior is what affects people around them as well. And so that's what this all boils down to is, like I said before, a series of competencies and behaviors. So as we think about soft skills and those behaviors that we want to improve and change, let's get into the process for helping employees improve their soft skills. First of all, it's important to note that improving soft skills is a process. It's not like technical learning from before where you can have someone read a book or go to a one-day training just to learn a skill. We're dealing here with changing behaviors. It's not just learning new knowledge. It's changing behaviors, and so it takes time. It's a process of personal behavior change, and so it's not a one-and-done thing. And while you might see some overnight changes, the majority of change is going to take place over a long period, in months, maybe a year or two. So you're going to see some gradual improvement probably, which can really turn into significant change over the long term if done right. So keep in mind as we go through this and as you deal with people, you've got to be patient because this is a process as people go through it. So when we think about this process, there's six steps. First of all, there has to be a willingness for people to change. Because it's a personal change process, people must be willing to do things differently than they're doing right now. So as part of that, an employee needs to be able to admit their weaknesses or faults and see that improvement is necessary. Most people probably don't get excited about dwelling on their faults, but they should at least be open to trying to get better because if they're not willing to try to get better, then we can't do much here. You may have an employee who you're thinking about right now that's unwilling to change, and so we're going to talk about some strategies for dealing with that a little bit later. Secondly, the second step, you've got to provide a mirror for them to accurately see how they are perceived. They need to be able to understand if others perceive them how they view themselves. Or if you look at this meme, this picture here, this house cat thinks that they're actually a mountain lion, and sometimes we have employees who are like that. They have a very uh, wrong view of themselves. So receiving feedback is really a key step in this whole process because we often think that we know what our strengths and weaknesses are, but in reality we can be blind to the things that other people see clearly. And that can be really especially true if we're not great at self-awareness, then we're going to be very blind to some things. So it's important to ask others for their feedback to see how they view us. 
and this is really especially important for CEOs and those higher up in organizations because the higher that you go, the harder it is to receive negative feedback because no one's going to walk up to the CEO and tell her that she needs to work on controlling her temper. You just don't do that. So going back to that point before, if you've got a boss who has difficulty with this, it can be really difficult to give that negative feedback up. So this evaluation step can be done through a number of means. First of all, you can use self-assessments to use as a starting point. And there's a number of those out there relating to emotional intelligence, as well as personality assessments like the MBTI or DISC profile that can be helpful to get people to understand um, what their tendencies are. Secondly, you really need input from others. And this could take the form of a performance evaluation from a manager, or even better, it could be some kind of 360-degree assessment that could be used to gather anonymous feedback from a number of sources, such as managers, peers, direct reports, and clients. And that way you really get a full view of yourself and your areas of strengths, as, as well as your weaknesses. In all of this, it's really important to use multiple assessments to help employees view themselves from multiple angles because one assessment is only going to give you a partial picture of yourself. It's much like going to a tux or dress shop and using multiple angled mirrors to see yourself in different viewpoints. They allow you to see yourself, see things that really you wouldn't normally notice otherwise. So after an employee receives this feedback, you can move on to the third step, which is self-reflection. And the problem with asking for feedback is that you get feedback, that you hear what your strengths and weaknesses are. And it can be difficult to hear about your weaknesses, but it's part of the process of understanding yourself better. So as part of the evaluation step, employees should have a better grasp of their tendencies, strengths, and weaknesses, like I said before. And as employees reflect on that feedback from others, they should first of all understand that all of the feedback they receive is others' perceptions of that employee. The employee may not feel that they are valid perceptions. Sometimes employees get feedback and say, hey, that's not right. This person thinks that of me, but that's not who I really am. But the observations are how other people view that employee, so they are valid perceptions in others' eyes, and thus they have to be dealt with. Once again, at this point, an employee must be willing to admit their faults and be willing to change before anything else can happen. If you aren't willing to change at this step, then you can't do much else. Fourth step is goal setting. So based on the feedback that you've received, the employee should set two to four tangible goals that they can work towards. Most of the time, these might be based on weaknesses that they want to try and mitigate or improve, but it could also be strengths that they want to leverage even more. Many times, it's helpful for a manager or an outside consultant to help facilitate this goal setting so that you fully explore the feedback that's received and craft beneficial goals. Let's be honest, most of the time, if we set goals for ourselves, we are maybe going to look past some of the things that might be a bit more difficult for us to do. And we want somebody pushing on us to do that. 
So it's important to set just a handful of goals because if an employee sets too many, they won't have enough focus and then they won't end up completing any. So two to four goals is really a good number to shoot for. As part of this, it's really important for employees to communicate these goals to those around them so that they can be held accountable for those. And the communication of these goals is also needed to help change the perceptions of others around them. There's a lot more that goes into that. Um, but for more information, I'd really recommend reading Malcolm Goldsmith's book, What Got You Here, What Won't Get You There. And that has a lot of good information on changing perceptions of others. The fifth step is education. Employees need to educate themselves on tools to help them meet their goals. So this is where training and gaining more knowledge can be really effective. It's good to know the best practices in those areas of improvement that have been identified. So for example, if an employee needs to become a better manager, they could read Bruce Tolgan's book, It's Okay to Be the Boss. Um, or if another employee needs to learn to control their temper, they could go just to an anger management class. Multiple things that can help you get those best practices. Finally, the sixth step here is to practice. Because employees are trying to implement new or different behaviors, they need to actually go out and do them. They need to implement the changes that they said that they were going to make. Now, we know that they're going to fail at times, but the important thing is to keep going and keep practicing. And as they practice, those things are going to become easier, and the new behaviors will become habits. So as an employee moves forward, it's important to get feedback about how they're progressing all along the way to make sure that they're on the right track doing the right things. So you can do some follow-up 360s or assessments and ask the same people before about how they're doing on that progress. This whole process can be repeated over multiple years or as an employee progresses and takes on new goals and areas of improvement. So it really can be a life, lifelong change process for anyone that's up for it for continually improving. So to recap, those six steps for this process are willingness to change, first of all, evaluation, self-reflection, goal setting, education, and then practice. Now let's get to another poll here. If you think back to that same problem employee in mind, what is the next step that you feel like you need to do with that problem employee? You need to give them an evaluation, help them set goals, recommend a book or article to read, encourage them to practice, or maybe something else. Helping set goals and giving them an evaluation are the, the top two here. So looks uh, definitely good things to keep in mind as we move out of this. So uh, we just have a few minutes here, so I'm going to try to run through this quickly. Um, sometimes, like I said before, you've got an employee who's unwilling to change, and it can be a problem because if they're not willing to change, they can't start this whole process. So if you've got an employee like that, you've generally got three options. First of all, one that many managers choose is they just manage around that employee and find a way to deal with their problems. It's not really a good solution, but we see it all of the time. Managers just deal with people because they think it'd be too difficult to actually make a change. And these are people, like I said before, talented terrors, employees who we feel are just too talented in one area to let go, but they cause all sorts of problems in other areas. But really we find that most of the time the talent they bring in one area really isn't worth the difficulty that they bring in every other area. So 
not, this is not a good option. The second option here is if an employee is unwilling to change, you can help them to understand the urgency of change. For, because for many people, it's necessary for them to kind of hit a wall before they realize that they need to change. They need to come to a point where they have no other options to turn to. And so as a manager, you can help these employees realize the urgency of change by giving them feedback. So feedback's really key. The employee needs to know how important improvement is. And so if this employee has been promoted, despite their anger issue in the past, they need to know that it's going to be an issue moving forward with them. That management's not going to turn a blind eye to it anymore. And they also need to get feedback from others, how others view them, so that they don't think it's just a small issue, but that it really is a big issue to everyone else around them. Sometimes, though, you've got employees who still aren't willing to change, and so if you've communicated to them how important it is to change, they know how others view them, and they still don't care, then it's probably best to let them go, because you don't want to keep that sort of person around who is not willing to change for the benefit of themselves and the organization. So you're, even, you're better off with them to let them go, even if they are a star in most situations. So we're going to skip the final poll here and just come to hear this review. Um, four things I want you to really take away from this. Soft skills, first of all, are extremely important to individual performance as well as to the company's overall bottom line. So you've got to really focus on these key skills and developing them. Second, in order to identify employees struggling with these skills, you've got to start with observable behaviors and what they actually do. Third, soft skills can be improved, so everyone is able to improve as long as they want to. And lastly, soft skills is a process of personal change that takes time, so you've got to be patient because it's going to, might take a little bit, but it's going to be worth it in the end. So some next steps, you might want to identify some employees that have these soft skill problems. You might want to implement some feedback processes. You might want to develop a process or program yourself internally to develop these soft skills. Or you might want to enlist some outside help to develop a program or do some individual coaching. Or you might want to have that important conversation with an employee who is unwilling to change. So to conclude here, I'd, I'd just like to share a really brief, simple story of somebody that's gone through this process. We've worked with an engineer in the past who managed other engineers and through the coaching process he received feedback that he was really a pretty good manager but that one thing he did really gave his employees a lot of heartburn. They'd receive emails from him all of the time at all hours of the day, like 11 p.m. on Saturdays, 3 a.m. during the week and they felt like they needed to respond right away so they were always on edge. Because of his lack of social awareness he had no idea what kind of effect this had on him and so he was really surprised. He never intended for them to respond right away, and he was just sending an email when he thought of something through, about it. So through the feedback process, he was able to better understand his actions and how they affected his employees, to learn how to better manage his relationships, and to put those changes into practice. So this is just one simple example of the process. There's a wide variety of ways that soft skills can manifest themselves, but this simple process can really help employees improve their soft skills and in the end improve the company's bottom line overall. So 
Thanks for attending this webinar and learning about how you can improve your employees' soft skills. If you've got any questions, I'm going to stick around for a few minutes here. Or if you want a copy of the email checklist, feel free to contact me afterwards. And as always, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. And thanks again for attending. So, Daniel, we did have a couple of questions come in. And one of those questions was, one of my employees seems to have a problem with pretty much every soft skill. So if I was going to start with one, where should I start? All right. Good question. Um, yeah, sometimes we have those sorts of employees who really have prob a lot of problems, and it's a little overwhelming to think where uh, basically where to start. And so I would encourage you to connect with that person and see where they want to start because uh, hopefully they're going to see where they have some deficiencies. And if you can get some buy-in from that employee in really in their change process, that's really what we want. And so figuring out where they feel like they need to improve and want to improve is best. So instead of just trying to do everything at once, figure out what they're excited about changing and want to change and, and start there. Okay, great. And we have one more question. Um, how often should you use self-assessments or some of the assessments that you talked about? And is it possible to give too many assessments? Um, yeah, good good question. The the problem sometimes with assessments, especially if you're doing it with multiple people in the same organization, especially a 360 assessment, is that their peers are going to get kind of overloaded with requests for feedback and all of these assessments that take time. And so in the end, you may not get as good of feedback from people because they're just too overwhelmed with too many requests for input. And so we definitely recommend if you're doing it with multiple multiple people to maybe space it out a little bit. And that way you're not kind of getting some uh, assessment fatigue from the raters. And as well as um, if you're going to do some follow-up assessments, wait for that to, wait for the behaviors to change. So at least six to nine months before doing a follow-up checkup so that uh, there's actually some change that can happen before you're testing on that again.